This Live is from Kent. the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Well, my man Lewis, producing this afternoon, just reminded me that it's Friday, and it'll be a feel-good Friday kind of show. Well, we've already had our feel-good kind of show. Doesn't mean we can't replicate it today, but everybody does feel-good Friday, right? The alliteration, which I love, and all that. We do a feel-good Thursday around here when Sean Robertson joins us from CBS 6, which is what we did yesterday and we had a feel-good show. At least Sean and I thought so. We went walking out of there yesterday like, wow, those two hours just flew by. And we're hoping the same thing happens this afternoon. Not Sean and I because Sean's not with us today. That's a Thursday thing. But Lewis and I certainly hope that it flies by today, gets us to the weekend a little bit quicker, and it gets us to college football this weekend. Oh, yeah, we've got games, man. It's week zero for college football, and there are a handful of games. Now, you really do have to be, I was going to say you got to be a diehard college football fan to watch most of these games, but I'm going to take that back before it really rolls off the tongue. I mean, we haven't had college football in, what, six months, something like that, seven months? So I think any college football fan would be excited to watch some of it, bits and pieces, of these games that are coming this weekend. The most intriguing one is probably the first one because of where it's being played and who's playing, meaning Notre Dame is in action on NBC. But the game is in Dublin, Ireland, against Navy. And Notre Dame is a prohibitive favorite, as it should be in that game. Um, But it's a classic kind of matchup, Navy and Notre Dame. Good way to get it started overseas. I'm sure both of those teams have taken in the sights in addition to doing their practicing and working out and all of that. So great experience for them, and I'm sure it will be worth tuning in to at least a little bit of that. So the game started 2.30 tomorrow afternoon on NBC, and they finish up with the 9 o'clock game, Florida International and Louisiana Tech on CBS Sports Network, and there are five games in between those two contests. Uh, The only other nationally ranked team in action is USC, the Trojans at home against San Jose State in the 8 o'clock game. Hawaii and Vanderbilt will play in Nashville at 7.30 um, as one of the other games. Uh, All right, so there you go. We're excited about college football getting going tomorrow. And then, of course, week one, which starts really on Thursday, on the last day of August, that really gets us going. And then all of our teams get into action um, next weekend on Saturday and throughout the course of the weekend. And we have a great lineup of games for you, as well as I detailed yesterday, and I'll get into that a little bit later today. So, look, I'm going to do something to start today because I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself and really kind of mad, to be honest with you, at myself. So, you know, every day on this program, you hear it over and over again, right? 804-327-0888. It's our call-in line. We take the calls. Uh, of course, I've got somebody guiding me through the calls, and that helps. Otherwise, I'd probably miss them as well. We also tell you that 804-327-0888 
is our text line, and they come directly to us. And yet either I have ignored looking at them or I have forgotten about them or both. I don't know. And I don't have a lot that I really want to get into today. There's a pretty good string of texts that go back quite a way, whether they were for Al or Matt or me or whatever. But there were just a couple that I, I did want to get to but because uh, I, I don't want people to think that we're giving out our text line and then we never even get to it, or at least me. I shouldn't say we. I'm betting that Al and Matt and Jamie probably do a pretty good job of reading their texts and seeing them and talking about them on the air. And I appreciate both of these and the texters who sent them in. Um, it's nothing like earth-shattering, but it's worth uh, at least verbalizing it because I promise that all the time. You know, if you don't want to talk on the air, go ahead and text us, and, and we'll read them aloud and we'll talk about them. And I actually haven't done that um, for a while now. Back to before I went away on a little bit of vacation there. So I, I do want to go back. Actually, it's just a couple days on, on a couple of these. Um, but give credit where credit is due. So don't do this very often to start the program uh, with the text line. But I'm, I'm going to do that. And I love this one. This one's from one of our longtime listeners, uh, longtime callers, longtime texters. Uh, great guy. Uh, Try Bill had texted me the other day as we were talking about college football. It's only a couple days old, so this one is not so bad. It's only from uh, uh, Wednesday, I guess. And, and said, Bob, the older I get, boy, I can right away, right off the bat, Bill, that resonates because I, I'm with you right there. Bob, the older I get, the more I seem to look forward to the local college game. I root for them all which is kind of rare amongst fans in any area, but in our area as well, because the rivalries run deep here. You're either Virginia, Virginia Tech. You're probably either Richmond, William & Mary, uh, you know, on the college football front. All of those, you, you kind of get it. But Bill says, I root for them all from the UVAs of the world down to RMC, meaning Randolph-Macon, and Little Bluefield out in the boonies. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty good stuff, Bill. After a stellar season last year, the Tribe, and he is tried, Bill. We'll get everyone's best shot in 2023, but word out of Williamsburg is that London, meaning head coach Mike London, hasn't let them get a big head from last year's success. So we shall see how it goes this season. As usual, I will be rooting hard for the Spiders all year, except for the last game. Lowell, best wishes for quote-unquote our team success this year. Uh, that's nice. That's nice from Der uh, from Tribe, Bill. Almost called him Derby Bill. I think Derby Bill roots for most of the teams, too. But uh, Tribe Bill certainly does. And, look, William & Mary gets to get going ahead of just about everybody next week because they play Thursday night at Campbell, one of the new teams in the CAA. That's a tough first game for the Camels. And the Tribe in the top five in most of the preseason FCS polls have a lot of talent back on both sides of the ball. I think particularly on the defensive side, they are really loaded and really stacked. And, of course, Mike London uh, was a defensive guy coming up through the ranks as a player and as an assistant coach. So look out for the Tribe this year. And I would say one of the reasons that those guys don't have a big head from last year's success is the way it ended. And, look, their season's not going to be defined on one game. I, I, I certainly get that. But, obviously, they felt – that they had an opportunity to win a national championship last year, and it all all came crashing down in that last game at Montana State when they were never in it, wound up losing 55-7. to So, and again, that will not define them. That will not be their signature of that season. 
the great year that they had, the championship that they won, that will be what they will certainly remember. You know, 11-2, and 7-1 and one in the conference, all of that. But they are also going to remember the last time they were on the field. And there is that old adage and cliche, you're only as good as your last game. And I'll bet that's been uttered a time or two by Mike London and his coaches and the captains of the tribe, and they'll be ready to go. They will have that taste in their mouth. They had some obviously very impressive wins last year, not the least of which was over Richmond when they won at Robin Stadium in the regular season finale, 37-26. They had a good win over Villanova, um, Rhode Island. They, they you know, That was a close, good win. So they've, they they had some good wins last year, and obviously they did. They went 11-2, and two, uh, for crying out loud. So, you know, they'll be ready to go for sure, and they get the opportunity to go first on that Thursday night this year. Uh, at Campbell in what will be a CAA game. Uh, And you know what? They're going to put up a heck of a fight when they go to Charlottesville against Virginia. And I'm sure uh, Tribe Bill, who likes to root for all the teams, and he mentioned UVA, will certainly be rooting for William & Mary in that one. And they're going to have a chance in that game on October 7th. If they stay healthy and they're rolling at that point, they would certainly have a chance in that contest. So I definitely appreciate uh, the text from uh, Try Bill, and I apologize for not getting to it sooner. I guess the other day when we had um, Trey Wilson on, the the voice of the Flying Squirrels, and he was in uh, Portland as they were getting set to play Portland, the Flying Squirrels were. I did get one one text that just said, great lobster rolls in Portland. Yes, they do. And, and uh, here's what I learned from my time up there, and my first job out of college was in Portland, Maine. Uh, and I really enjoyed it, other than the fact that I was there for the coldest, wintry, snowiest months of the year and got the heck out of there and came to Richmond, um, for sure. But you can always get, like, two-for-one lobster specials up there in Maine. They're just so plentiful. You know, we used to go, when we go up there and play football, we'd, we'd go out on Friday night for dinner, and we had a couple guys with us. They did the two-for-one lobster deal, and they gobbled them both down. So I got you, Corey, on that one. Great lobster rolls in Portland off of our text line, 327-0888. This is kind of fun, so if you guys and gals want to shoot those texts our way, I, I do enjoy doing this. I just got to remember to do this more often. And then the last one is a little bit of a programming deal. And I've had this question asked of me, and I'm going to give you a little tease here, and you're probably going to be annoyed at me and frustrated if you're a Spider fan particularly. So a text came in on Matt's show, I guess Tuesday, when I wasn't on the air Tuesday. It's probably why that happened as opposed to waiting till I was on. And was talking about our Richmond Football Coaches show. And I've had this question asked several times the last couple weeks. Appreciate that. That means there's interest. Can you tell me the location and the time of the U of R call-in show for football this season? And Matt Joseph, in all of his political correctness, answered that text via a text and said, I don't believe it's finalized yet, but I'm sure Bob will announce it when they do. Thanks for listening. Well done, Matt. That was an excellent response. All right, so let me tell you what I can tell you. A couple of things. I can tell you the day and the time of the coaches show because that hasn't changed. It will continue to be Thursdays from noon to one. We like doing football as a lunchtime show. Coach Usman likes that. He likes the Thursday. Seems to have been popular with our crowd, with Spider fans who have come out and enjoyed it in years past. Um, so it will be Thursday from noon to one. We are actually going to announce 
um, where it will be on Monday. That's kind of been scheduled. That's the day we, we talked about releasing it. So I hate to be that guy to give you that kind of tease. I know it's going to keep you up at night all weekend long, just wondering where we're going to be. I will tell you this. It is not at the same location. So it will be a new location. In fact, brand new. We have never been there for anything of our spider shows, and it will be convenient to the University of Richmond. So how's that for a big-time radio tease? But I just can't do it until we announce it Monday morning. Be on the Richmond website, richmondspiders.com, our social media, and then we'll get into it. So I kind of apologize for leaving you hanging, not that you care all that much maybe, um, but I can tell you, new location, same day, same time, convenient to campus. And I better stop talking now before I spill the beans and scoop myself or scoop ourselves um, in Richmond Athletics. So Monday morning on our website, and then obviously when we're on the air Monday, we'll talk a little bit more about it as well. All right, those were a couple of fun texts. Would love for you to send more. I promise I'll check the text line more frequently and get to them, 804-327-0888. That having been said, I do think we're going to finish the the work week with a flourish and the program week with a flourish because we have not one, not two, but three guests, three different sports. So we are going to be hopscotching all over the place this afternoon. And here's who we're going to be doing it with. Here's what's coming up on today's sports huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. During these hot summer months, donating blood and volunteering is certainly crucial to the success of the Red Cross. To learn how you can help, visit redcross.org. Org. Um, all right, we have three guests this afternoon. The first one's coming up here in just a couple minutes. I forgot about it. We bumped them up from 4.30 to 4.15, so I'm going to hustle through this. Mark Zuckerman joins us next from the Nats Chat Podcast. So much to talk about involving the Nationals right now. So he's coming up right after the break. Right after the top of the hour pause at 5 o'clock, Pedro Aruza, head football coach at Randolph-Macon. They are poised to have another great season up there in Ashland. We'll talk with Coach Aruza, who's going into his 20th year as the head coach at Randolph-Macon, and then at 5.30, Chris Mooney, Richmond basketball coach, will join us. The Spiders announced officially their non-conference schedule today. We'll talk with Coach Mooney about that. The newcomers, the transfers, the freshmen getting going for the season. He's coming at 5.30. All right, let's get the break in here so we don't keep Mark Zuckerman keeping any long, waiting any longer than we're going to. He is next to talk some Nationals baseball on the Sports Auto. In just two Saturdays, the Spiders return home when UR opens their 2023 season at Robin Stadium versus Morgan State at 6 p.m. Don't miss any of the action on your home for Spider Athletics all season. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Traffic reports on 106. All right, almost 20 after four. My apologies publicly to Mark Zuckerman. Uh, for waiting as long as he had to through that 4.15 break. That was my fault for rambling a little bit before getting to the commercial pause and also forgetting that we had bumped Mark up to 4.15 rather than 4.30. So we're thrilled to have you with us this afternoon, Mark. And you got to be thrilled with what you're seeing right now from these Nationals. I mean, do you almost pinch yourself a little bit that all of this is going on all of the news that is happening and most of it, not all of it, but most of it has been good for the Nats. And look, Mark, they might still finish last. I don't know. But the fact that they're tied for fourth right now for with the Mets, um, this is pretty impressive stuff by these Nats, isn't it? 
Hey, Bob. Yeah, it is. Um, before we get started, I'm hearing another show in addition to yours at the same time, so I'm having a hard time hearing clearly. Yeah, we'll get that squared away. That's been a uh, bugaboo that we've had in our system uh, for some time now. We'll get our engineers on that so that the crossed wires get uncrossed. How about now? Is that better? I think we're good. There we go. There we go. All right. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it really has been something to watch the way this team's turned around. Probably since the last time we spoke, it's been a, a night and day of what they've done. Um, they're getting much better pitching. They are scoring runs in meaningful moments late in games, and their bullpen has been just outstanding. And they're beating good teams. Uh, I know it's easy to look at this and say, oh, well, you know, maybe they sweep the A's, big deal. No, they've taken some series here lately from teams like the Red Sox, the Reds, uh, the Phillies. I know the Yankees aren't great right now. They're under 500, but they are still the Yankees, and they're still in the Bronx, meaningful games for them. Uh, of a team that was desperate to start to win again. So it's it's been a lot of fun to see the way this young group of guys is starting to come together and believing that they can win games and beat good teams. Uh, Mark Zuckerman, you can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Zuckerman, also the NatsChatPodcast.com, and you can get to all of their podcasts that way. And you and Al Galdi had a fascinating, fascinating conversation about something that I definitely wanted to bring up. I'm going to drill down a little bit here, Mark. There are big-picture stories for us to talk about. Obviously, Steven Strasburg retirement and Davey Martinez getting the two-year extension and and all of that. But in the Yankees game the other day, uh, a win again by the Nats. C.J. Abrams, one of the up-and-coming stars, I believe, in baseball, who has a little bit of a flair, a little bit of a uh, flamboyance, about him hits this long uh, very impressive home run at yankee stadium and he stops to admire it he looks at his dugout and does a bat flip that way and rolls around the bases and davy martinez grabs him as he comes to the dugout in fact it was classic television mark i don't know who the player was who was about to put the homer wig on him and said oops wait a minute this is a moment i better not and he backs off and he lets manager have his discussion with player what did you think of all that yeah there's a lot to unpack there isn't there um look you have young players who are excited to do big things. It's the first time he's ever played at Yankee Stadium and hitting a meaningful home run like that late in the game. He's going to be excited about showing emotion. As he was describing it, he said he's looking back at his teammates and, and, and trying to get them fired up. Say, hey, let's go. We're going to win this game. That It was not something that is meant to show any uh, disrespect at all to the other side of the equation. Now, David Martinez is known as a player's manager. Guys love him for it. You heard over the last few days the way they raved about him getting the new contract and in part because he is so good with them. That said, he's an old-school guy. He played in the 80s and the 90s when things were a little different, and he does still try to instill a little bit of that to his young guys. And his point is this. Celebrate all you want. Be excited. But don't do anything that might provoke the other team. He says, I know the Yankees are struggling right now, but they're still the Yankees, and do not poke the bear. Don't give them reason either, A, to start throwing at our guys, and now you're risking injury to somebody, or B, get them motivated and try to get off the mat and come back and win the game, which they almost did, by the way. I'm not sure it had anything to do with Abrams' home run or reaction, but they did almost come back. So I think that's his point. It's a fine line to walk. There's a generation now of players that is perfectly comfortable with and doesn't think you should ever be ashamed or embarrassed to celebrate the way that C.J. did on that one. And then there are still some old-school guys like Davey who say, well, hang on a second, enjoy it, celebrate it, 
but make sure you're not doing anything that might be misconstrued by the opposition. I thought it was fascinating, which is why I brought it up, and I did happen to have it on live at the moment it happened. And I'm more of an old-school guy, Mark. I'm a, little, I'm a little bit older. I've been following the game for, for a long time, and I kind of surprised myself because I understand both parties in this case. I'm not even going to say sides because they're not on different sides. They're on the same team. They're in the same dugout. But I found myself leaning a little bit more towards the young guy, towards C.J. Abrams in that instance because he didn't do anything to show up the Yankees. He didn't stare into their dugout or at their pitcher. And I think baseball probably needs a little bit more of that, and that's the way he plays the game. And and to your point, uh, that that's kind of what he was doing to fire up his team. I just thought it was a fascinating scenario, as you said. Yeah, and, and it's one of these that's kind of perpetually going to be there, the old school, school versus the new school. And, I mean, look, C.J. Abrams is a great young player, a very respectful player, like like you point out. As he's saying, like, it, it was nothing intended other than to get his own team fired up. And the kind of stuff we see all the time now from players when they do something exciting. And I think he would also tell you if he struck out, and the Yankees pitcher celebrated and, and you know, yelled mm-hmm. at his dugout, let's go, something like that, he would have had no problem with that mm-hmm. either. So it, it it's a fine line. Um, I understand where Davey's coming from. I know uh, he's, he, he's trying to protect his guys more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about him being worried, that, you know, that something's not right in the game today, but more so, hey, don't do anything that's going to hurt us, whether it's in the course of this game or later on. I think is his point, and, and it's well taken. Um, but I think for the most part, he's pretty good about letting guys have fun. But the whole dugout celebration thing, which now almost every team does, mm-hmm. it kind of started with the Nationals in 2019 when they would have the little dugout dance going, and Gerardo Parra and Anabel Sanchez would get whoever hit a home run to start dancing, including Steven Strasburg when he hit a home run one night. Um, so it, it's, it's funny because in a way, Davies teams – have kind of been the instigator of a lot of these <laughs> new sort of celebrations that you see across the league. Yeah. All right. So now you've mentioned Davey Martinez and you've mentioned Steven Strasburg. So let's get. See, to I know what I'm those. doing. I know how to. Yes, segue. you do. Well done. Well, you've done this a time or two, Mark, and you do it every day with Al Galdi on the Nats Chat podcast that I certainly urge people to take a listen to, particularly if you're a baseball and specifically Nationals fan. The Davey Martinez extension. Um, what's the impact of that, Mark? The timing of it. Couple more years. I think there were some certainly whispers out there that Davey might not want to be back at this point, having torn down what he had you know, been a part of in 2019, building it back up. What do you make of the impact of the extension at this moment for the next two years for Davey? Well, think about this. How many managers have ever even been in the position that he's in? You are hired to take over a team that's in win-now mode. Uh, the first year didn't go well, but the second year you win the title. And then you're back, you get an extension, you return – and things start to fall apart, and they tear down the entire team and start all over. And you're given the opportunity to actually lead that uh, rebuild and now to see it through, potentially, and get maybe back to the playoffs again. There aren't a lot of managers who do that or have the opportunity to do something like that. But it felt to me all along like once they made that decision a couple years ago to trade Scherzer and Turner, and then certainly last year trade Soto, and they're acknowledging, okay, we are now going to take a few years before we build this thing back up again and have a chance to win again. You kind of can't really judge him on wins and losses anymore. You just judge him on the development of young players. And in some ways, don't you owe it to him now to have a chance to see what he can do when they actually uh, have all these young guys in the big leagues. And that's not going to be for another year 
or two in some cases. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people felt like the learners were going to offer it to them at some point. Now, their history is they wait to the last minute, and so I think a, a, there was a little bit of surprise they did it now and didn't wait until late September. But the team has played so well lately. There's been a lot of credit to Davey for what he's meant for the young guys. He has embraced it. It, it is different, a different challenge than he had when he first took over here. Um, but he has really embraced this idea of being patient, teaching young guys, learning how to win at the big league level again. And so I think for a lot of people, there was a relief, and for him, kind of a weight off his shoulders to know that, yes, he is going to get a chance now to see this thing through and not have to wait till the end of the season to find out. So do you think, Mark, and this is kind of a fun, almost throwaway <laughs> question, that we're looking at a five-team race or at least a four-team race in the National League East next year, and maybe we're battling for second place still. Maybe the Braves are that good that it's the Braves and the other teams. Who knows what the Mets are going to do, but Miami seems okay, Philly seems okay, and Washington seems you know, certainly an up-and-comer. What do you think in the National League East here? Well, maybe the Mets are going to be the one that's not yeah. actually in win-now mode, yeah. amazingly, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, who who knows what they're going to do? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Braves are obviously really good and built to be really good for a long time. And so they are going to be the top dogs that everyone's chasing, uh, I think, for several years here. The Phillies are defending NL champions, so you can't take that away from them. And they are uh, in a win-now mode and will continue to be. I like a lot of what the Marlins have done. Their pitching is really good. They're still trying to catch up to everyone, I think, offensively, but they win a lot of close games. They have hung in there longer than I think a lot of people expected they would to the point now where they are very much in the race right down to the wire. And the Nationals are improving, of course. Um, It makes for a fascinating situation. And I think about the ALE, where we've seen a little bit of reversal here now where the Yankees and the Red Sox are at the bottom, and it's the Orioles and the Rays and the Blue Jays that are all contending. And maybe we're going to get into that kind of scenario now in the NL East where everybody comes into a year thinking they have a chance to win. It's, of course, not possible for everyone to win. Somebody's going to lose those head-to-head games, and maybe the teams that end up at the bottom are not the ones that you're expecting uh, like we've seen now with the Mets. Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating. I really do. All right, a couple more things for you, Mark. Steven Strasburg, um, fairly expected at some point that, unfortunately, these injuries he wasn't going to be able to overcome. How does How does this kind of... I guess, resonate with, with his legacy and what he has meant to the Nationals to basically literally put him on his shoulder and carry them to a World Series championship as MVP um, in 2019. Yeah, so I think yesterday's news, while nobody was shocked by it because we had sort of read the tea leaves here over the last few months and understood this is probably where it was going, it still kind of hit hard, I think, for a lot of people because it was that final realization of, oh, wow, it's really over. And all you can do is think back to all the moments and go all the way back to June 8, 2010 for his debut, which was truly a unique baseball event that we may never see again, where a pitcher is so hyped up and then exceeds the hype somehow in a remarkable performance, striking out 14 batters in his debut on national TV. That was the moment the Nationals became relevant to the rest of the baseball world. They were irrelevant prior to that point. And you can kind of point to that as the beginning of them becoming a franchise that people cared about and a franchise that started to win. And every single team they've had that has made the playoffs, he was an integral part of that, and never more so than in 2019 when he truly rose to the occasion and was dominant throughout the postseason and won World Series MVP. Now, the legacy, I'm sure 
People are going to look at the contract, which, of course, turns out to be a disaster. Not his fault, but it does turn out to be one of the worst contracts ever because he only made eight starts after he signed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to look at all the times he wasn't available to pitch over the years, which did happen frequently. But I think also most Nats fans are smart enough to, to look at this and say, when he was out there, he was as good as anybody, and he has meant as much to this franchise as anybody ever has. They're going to retire his number here at some point. They're going to have a retirement ceremony for him, uh, you know, probably during the next homestand. And I think, I hope and I believe that the reception he gets is going to be overwhelmingly positive from fans who want to remember everything that he did do for them. Uh, and it's not just little snippets. He, he was a great pitcher for long stretches at times during the course of his career. And it's just sad that his body didn't allow him to do more than that uh, to, to get to a point where he's going to be in the conversation for Cooperstown. That's probably not going to happen, but in terms of Nationals lore, he's right up there with anybody they've ever had. Yeah, I mean, I think that response is going to be overwhelmingly positive and emotional when it happens uh, there at, at Nats Park, in, as you said, in their next homestand. I'm not really trying to connect the dots here, but I did see the phrase generational talent used with him, just as I see that same phrase uttered and used um, with Shohei Otani. And I just wonder from a baseball guy's perspective and, and people who you talked to in the last you know 72 hours on the Otani front, what that means, not only for him and the Angels, but for all of baseball, that he has now had this relatively major setback and could certainly greatly impact his future in the game. Right. I, I think there's a similar sadness that everybody around the sport has. If you love the sport, you want Shohei Otani to be healthy and doing these amazing things that nobody has ever done in the course of, of history of baseball. Um, the timing, of course, is awful. You had the Angels deciding not to trade him and to go for it and try to make the playoffs with him and Mike Trout, and now they're losing, and then he gets hurt and Mike Trout gets hurt again, and it's looking like they're not going to make it to October, and now he's a free agent. And what does that mean for anybody who might be interested in him? I don't know the answer to that. Everybody's kind of questioning, do you still want to spend everything that it would cost to, to sign him? Do you treat him just as a position player? Do you treat him as a pitcher as well? Does he think it's better for him to sit out? For a year, if he does have Tommy John surgery and just let himself recover from that, it's truly uncharted territory here because nobody has ever been in the position that, that he's in. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there, baseball executives, who look at the Strasburg contract and say, I don't want to be the one who makes that same mistake, and in this case it's going to cost even more. So I don't know what the right answer there is, except to say that everybody just hopes that he can come back, whether it's just as a position player or as a two-way player, and be the, the guy that he has been, but to now be it on a team that ultimately wins and that this wasn't some flash in the pan because you know we're all so lucky to be around at a time to see somebody do what he does because truly nobody has ever done this before. Yeah, absolutely. All right, lucky to have you on today. We appreciate it, Mark. There's so many other topics we could have gotten into, just didn't have the time to do it, but we'll certainly save them for our next visit. Uh, keep it rolling there with the Nats. I know that's a lot of fun for, for you, for Al, for the guys covering guys and gals covering uh, the team, and we'll catch up with you as the baseball season moves towards its conclusion in September. Thank you, Mark. All right. All right, thanks. Thanks, Bob.
Mark Zuckerman, Nats Chat Podcast. You can catch all those podcasts right there. Just go to NatsChatPodcast.com, and they're all archived for you there. And you can follow Mark and Al both on Twitter, uh, obviously, and plenty of other topics that never really got to. The Stone Garrett injury, uh, very unfortunate with the broken leg when he crashed and got caught in the fence there at Yankee Stadium. Uh, the experience that Mark had in Williamsport we didn't get to at the, at the Little League Classic against the Phillies on Sunday. Never even got to that. There is just so much, as, as they talked about in their most recent podcast, on the, on the news cycle right now to involve a team that's tied for last place. And he used the word irrelevant to talk about the Nats before the Steven Strasburg era. That's what they were supposed to be this year. They weren't supposed to be a part of the conversation this year, and they were supposed to be irrelevant. I think you can make the argument they're not irrelevant. They may still finish last, but they've done enough good things for the most part to put themselves back on the baseball map, and I think it's a pretty impressive thing. As I kidded with Sean Robertson yesterday, it's easy for me to root for the Nats this year because they're not going to get to the playoffs. They're not going to win the National League East. They're not going to get to the wild card, barring something absolutely phenomenal from happening. So I can root for them this year. But when they're good again and they're battling the the Braves and the Phils and the Marlins, I'm not sure I'll be able to root for them then because they're going to be really good really good all right good stuff from mark zuckerman that's chat podcast break time on the sports saddle back on the other side 1061 espn the atlanta braves are rolling with their sights set on a sixth straight division title and their second championship in three years catch the action here on 1061 espn richmond your home for the atlanta braves in the capital city So going back to my kind of theme of the day from the beginning of the show, and this ties in with the Nationals talk, about making sure I check the uh, text line, 3270888. I guess Sean and I were talking about baseball and the Nats and uh, the Abrams home run, you know, and his his flair for the dramatic and Mar- David Martinez and, and all of that and just how good they were this year. And I kidded with Sean yesterday about, you know, kind of rooting for him right now. John texted uh, yesterday as we were talking about that and said, hey, and the Nats have some stars coming up as well. Well, Dylan Cruz, who was their number one pick um, in this most recent draft, got elevated to double A recently. He's already there. Brady House is another name. And James Wood, uh, who we've talked about before on this program because his dad played basketball, not only played basketball, but was a Hall of Famer at the University of Richmond, Kenny Wood, um, and has James has come through Richmond a couple times when he was with Harrisburg uh, to play the Flying Squirrels and went out and watched, uh, watched them one night. So they've got some young guys still coming to go with the young guys that they've already got up there. So very much like the Baltimore model, as we mentioned, you know, the Orioles suffered through some real lean years there, and now they are reaping the rewards. I watched a decent amount of the Oriole game last night against the Blue Jays, and I just keep shaking my head and saying the same thing. I mean, they are really good, and they are really fun to watch. They get uh, timely hitting, and they play outstanding defense, which I think is somewhat becoming a lost art in Major League Baseball, but the Orioles play really good defense, and they got a great outing yesterday out of Kyle Gibson. Man, I wish the Phillies still had him. I think they would have liked to but he just kind of got squeezed by the numbers in philadelphia but he helped them last year to win a national league championship and he might be doing the same thing to help the orioles this year so baltimore made it work and now washington's going to make it work and as sean said yesterday you know the beltway has some pretty darn good baseball 
right now. So appreciate the text, John, from yesterday about the Nationals' up-and-coming stars as well, 804-327-0888. Hey, I mentioned this, and I'll do this real quick, and then I'm going to get back on track and get back on time, and we'll take a quick time out and come back and then get you up to 5 o'clock. And Pedro Arruza, if you're a Randolph-Macon fan, uh, the head football coach of the Yellow Jackets, going to join us right after the top of the hour ESPN Sports Center update as they look primed for another great season up there in Ashland. So we don't have a game, college game this weekend. You get the Braves on the West Coast this weekend. They're in San Francisco, so you get the Braves-Giants series uh, this weekend here on 106.1 ESPN. But next weekend, we kind of got it all for you. Mentioned this yesterday, and we'll continue to remind you of this during the week. But next Saturday, uh, we get Virginia and Tennessee. We'll get the national broadcast there of Virginia and Tennessee. That's a noon kick to start the season. This is perfectly timed out. Then the uh, Richmond Spiders play their opener Saturday night at Robbins Stadium against Morgan State at 6 o'clock. Our airtime at 5.30 here on 106.1 ESPN. And when that finishes, you know, about 9 o'clock or so, it'll be time for Braves baseball. That's my very poor impersonation impersonation of Vin Scully, who always opened his broadcast with, it's time for Dodger baseball. Braves and Dodgers on Saturday night. Can you tell we're getting close to the weekend? By, the, by what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, for crying out loud. And then Sunday, uh, more college football. Next Sunday, September 3rd, we'll have Florida State and LSU. So some big-time games coming on our airways. And, of course, there's a slew of games next weekend in college football, and we are definitely very excited about that. All right, Lewis is happy with me now. I've gotten us back on time. We're ready to quarter to five. We'll get the break in. Uh, I got a college topic I do want to bring up, and I'll at least start it in the next segment. And then Pedro Aruzzo will be on with us. Maybe I'll pick up on it after that because I think it's worthy of conversation. It it involves the transfer portal, you know, one of the very hot-button topics that we have had over the last year, year and a half now in college athletics. Do that on the other side of the break, 106.1 ESPN. The traditions. There's no team I love more than this team. We got a national championship to chase. The rivalry. This is college football as good as it gets. The drama. Launching downfield. All the way to the end zone. Only one day until week zero. College football lives here. ESPN Radio. If this were a real... going down this path because I think it's an even longer kind of story than um, this next segment might entail. And I just want to go back to my story. All right. So I was going to mention the transfer portal here. And I stumbled across this story in one of those email blasts that I get. This was actually Athletic Business, which does a really nice job of uh, combining both uh, the sports world and the business side of the sports world, the business of sport if you will. Um, So the way the story goes, we're talking about East Tennessee State here. And there's a local connection on this one because Dick Sander is their athletic director, uh, affectionately known as Doc Sander, uh, Richard Sander, Dr. Richard Sander. He was VCU's athletic director as the Rams were coming up, as they were really, you know, making their move and making their mark in college athletics. And he retired from that position in like 2005, 2006, uh, somewhere like that. He stayed at VCU for a little while with their Center for Sport Leadership and then went into retirement but got pulled back as East Tennessee State's interim athletic director in, I think, 2013. And it didn't take them long to just make him their permanent 
athletic director. It's a very similar path to what my friend and, and, and former athletic director at Richmond, Jim Miller, did. Uh, when he stepped aside at Richmond, special assistant to the president for a while. We all know what that position means. Then he kind of retired, did some consulting work, and boom, winds up back at VMI where he once coached basketball as the interim AD and then, to no one's great surprise who knew him, became the permanent AD and still is at VMI. So similar path. But anyway, um, apparently they've gotten tired of all of the East Tennessee players Moving into the transfer portal, last year they had 74 athletes enter the transfer portal. But what Dick Sander didn't like was that many of them, at double-edged sword, came back, put their name in the portal, you know, saw if the grass was going to be greener on the other side, said, eh, it's not, I'm going to come back to East Tennessee. And I guess Dick Sander had enough of that. And I, I, I don't blame him um, in theory. For this, uh, because I have always been a staunch supporter of the point he's kind of making when he says there are implications for every decision you make. So if you make that decision, if you want to go, it's kind of a statement. I don't want to be here. We only want people that want to be here. I think we're going to make sure of that before they go in, that they understand what the reality of going into the transfer portal is in the future. The basic athletic department policy is if you go in the portal, you're pretty much done. Now, that's not exactly an ironclad statement, is it? That's not exactly the grant of rights that nobody seems to be able to to break there. It's not a rule. It's hardly even a guideline. It's a policy, and it's a gray one at that. You're pretty much done. But I like the direction he's taking. I like his philosophy. Um, here's where I am old school. Uh, C.J. Abrams aside, where I liked what he did the other day, kind of. I thought it was fun for baseball. I've always thought that it's too easy to transfer now. I get freedom of movement and all of that, but at the first hiccup, at the first little speed bump, athletes are moving on. They just, you know, all right, it's kind of hard here. I'm not going to try and plow through it. I'm not going to try and make it better. I'm just going to go over to the other side of the fence because it looks a lot better over there. The landscape just looks better. And then you get over there like, eh, maybe not. Maybe I'll just go back to where I was. That was a pretty nice place. Um, but I, So I agree with Dick Sander in that regard. Now, in reality, I don't think you can do it. And in this article in Athletic Business, they pointed that out. So last year, the football team apparently had three of its top players do exactly that. A quarterback, Tyler Riddell, uh, a wide receiver, Will Huzzy, and a linebacker, Steven Scott, all put their name in the transfer portal, all poked around at other places. And you know what? They all came back. And according to the people um, in Johnson City, Tennessee, East Tennessee State, they're some of the best players they've got. And they got them back. Uh, so I get that. I, I, I understand that. But even their coach, uh, George Quarles is their coach, kind of said, look, we were honest with them. We had good conversation. We had good discussions. We knew what they were thinking and doing, and we told them what we were thinking and doing, so we welcomed them back. Now, under this new policy, that wouldn't have been the case. And they have a new basketball coach there, Brooke Savage, and when he came in, they lost guys into the portal, which I get when a new coach comes in. But they didn't come back. Because, again, he was of the ilk of Dick Sanders and said, I only want guys who want to be there. So I, w- um, I would be fascinated to watch this 
as we move forward, if schools will be doing that, if they're saying you go into the let's talk ahead of time, let's talk before you put your name in. Be honest with us. We'll be honest with you. Let's see what we can do. But if you put your name in, we don't think you want to be here. So go. And and you're not coming back. And I, I got some numbers here that I'll get to after Pedro Aruza about the number of players that went into the portal, wound up coming back, or didn't wind up with a scholarship anywhere, which is really a sad outcome of this thing. And even Sander said there will be special circumstances when there's a reason. So this is not a hard and fast rule, but I like the direction East Tennessee State is taking on that. Um, Try and get it out there in the open ahead of time so they never even have to get into the portal. All right, think about that. If you've got some comments on it, do it in the next hour. After Pedro Arruza joins us at 5 o'clock, Randolph Macon's football coach starts us out in the 5 o'clock hour on the Sports Hall. Hey there, Richmond. It's Breeze Airways, the series.